Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Be Here for a While. Today's episode of Be Here for a While is brought to you by Cove, the migraine solution. All right, I'm going to keep this intro short because my parents are here and every TV is on full blast. My mom says it makes her feel like she's got friends in the house, although uh, we're here, but we're not enough. And everyone's scream talking over each other, so if I don't hurry, you might be hearing the Oregon Duck football game in the background and uh, my mom talking about the hunk of pork she's making. So you don't need to know all that. You want to hear from my guest today. Okay, so my guest today is Stephanie Whittles-Wax. Stephanie has lived a big life. She's a voice actress, activist, and author. Her book, Everything is Horrible and Wonderful, a tragic comic memoir of genius, heroine, love, and loss, written after losing her dear brother Harris, a successful comedian, writer, and actor to a heroin overdose. That book hit home to so many of us who have had loved ones who have struggled with addiction or maybe have struggled ourselves. And since then, her whole life has taken a different trajectory after losing her brother. She has launched a podcast network called Lemonada Media, and she is the host of their flagship show, Last Day. Season one covered the loss of her brother and so many others due to the opioid epidemic. She was also a guest before, if you heard her, I think maybe back in March. I think it was right when the pandemic started. And season two covers mental, brain health, and suicide. I know it's a difficult topic, but... Well, both of these are, but I promise you there's a sense of hope in her message and the podcast. I was really scared to listen to her podcast and then even more scared and nervous to interview her about season two because I didn't know how to approach it. But I hope you listen to her podcast last day with an open heart and open mind. And I hope you listen to my interview with her with the same openness. We laugh a lot. Um, you know, we're just trying to navigate the best way for all of us to learn more in order to help anyone who may be struggling to show them that, you know, life might be hard, but it's worth living. And I hope you enjoy, and I hope you know that everyone's here for you. And, uh, yeah. So we sort of just launch into it. Um, it's because, so, like, the first five minutes is, like, just pretty raw, and we're just, like, sort of talking. But I promise around the, the five-minute mark, we get more professional, and I ask, you know, planned questions. <laughs> so without further ado, give it up for Stephanie Whittles-Wax. Well, thank you so much for doing this for the third time. Well, I guess you did screwed up stories first, but this is your second I time mean, here for a while. I mean, we're best friends now, so I will always come on your podcast. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I I would come on Lemonada, or not Lemonada, on Last Day. I don't have a story, yeah. uh, which yeah. I don't yeah. want one, I guess. That's, this is so funny, my mom say. last night, because my dad came on yesterday's show, and so last night she was like, oh, I'm so glad. That's so nice. I will tell him. Um, he's... No, I, I will, like, after you tell me this story, Great. I will tell because you I'm how sharing, much I I'm him. sharing every comment with him. Like, he's loving it. I'm like, okay, here's your 15 minutes, dude. Let me give it to you. Um, anyway, my mom was like, I was like, did you hear the episode? She's like, mm-hmm, yeah. And I was like, did you like it? Yeah, it's great. I'm like, okay, why are you saying it like that? She's like, I want to come on the show. And I'm like, lady, you do? Like, she also like, already came on the first season, season one, and also like you don't want to come on the suicide season. I promise you. I promise you. That's so funny because I also remember in season one of Last Day, you had mentioned that you tried to get your dad on, and he wouldn't do it. So I was like, I don't know how she pulled this off um, this time. Here's how I pulled like, it off. He was he had, he was already like one or two beers in, and I like didn't plan it. I was it was like one o'clock in the afternoon. I was like, hey. Will you just walk into my office? I'm going to put you on tape really quick. Like, I didn't make a big deal out of it. I just, like, 
it was just like right in the That's moment. Smart. We didn't pre-schedule it. And I just got him right in and, and he like, didn't really have an opportunity to think about saying no. <laughs> I, I absolutely. Okay. So this is how much I loved him. So I had listened to uh, the first two episodes yesterday and then one early this morning when I was on a walk and then started to listen to the episode with uh, your dad. And I was like, I mean, it's all very heavy. It's all, it's all a lot. It, it's a lot. Uh, and for, for whatever reason, I mean, I, can, I know what the reason is. I was like laughing out loud at your dad, even though I know it was like fairly dark stuff to be laughing at, but it reminded me so much of my family. Like quick anecdote, when my dad was, when I was like, he's fine, he's not dead, you, you can't kill him. Uh, when he was dying of cancer, he was supposed to be dead when I was a little kid, like 11 or something. And he even told me he was dying. It was a whole thing, but he didn't die. Um, and, but I would be like, mom, is dad going to die? And she's like, he's only going to die if I stab him. Yes. I'm like, okay. Yes. <laughs> like that, like that kind of humor. I know. Just, well, I just, and I, like, it was I just, so, it was so like, the whole thing was really interesting because that's how we relate, you know? Um, but then I realized listening back, cause we have a clinical like developmental psychologist on our team, Janice, who was on episode three, who'll be on again in five. Mm-hmm. And she wrote, responded and she's like, this is really vulnerable for him. Like, are you sure he's okay doing this? And I was like, oh, oh God, like I'm laughing through this entire thing. I bet people will think that's shitty. <laughs> like, but it, but yeah. so I felt like I, I had to add a disclaimer on the show that like, it's not that I'm not hearing him. It's just like, I don't know how to relate to him if we're not joking. But if, if I can see that if, if your family doesn't, if someone else's family doesn't operate that way, totally. it may be jarring. I felt like the, the disclaimer almost made me feel bad that I was laughing so hard at it. Oh, I mean. And then I was like, oh, well, should I not have been laughing? But I was like, that's how my family relates. So I was just like, so, yeah, like, I get everyone, it. Yeah, everyone's so different. I mean, we know that, but this woman DM'd me, like she was a psychologist and she lives in Seattle. She was like, love the episode. love your dad, blah, blah, blah. She's like, I have to admit, I was like cringing a little bit with the way you were responding to him. And I was like, yeah, I mean, and it, even, even to the extent that Jackie, my producer was like, are you okay airing this? I'm like, why are you? Yes, of course. She's like, but he said yes to your question. I was like, no, he was joking. She's like, I don't know if he was joking. Like we had this. It was probably right, a mixture right. of But both. it was just like, so like the way I heard it, was so much different than she heard it. And it anyway, totally. it was like a wild, we were working on the Marguerite story and I was like, oh, I have a dad here who's 78 and like super depressed most of his life. Maybe we should have them on to like mirror them. And it was one of those things where like when you're creating something in a vacuum, you're like, is this working? Like, I don't know if this is working. I, I never know if it's working, you know? Um, that's like part of the secret sauce. Uh, like, yeah. I have no fucking idea if it's working. Um, but I, I, I like how it finally turned out, but it was. Oh, I think it, it turned out beautifully. All right. We all know that no two migraines are alike. Some are triggered by hormones. That's me. Some are triggered by a fluorescent light. Some, we don't know how they're triggered. But if you have a migraine, you know that they're all different. And that's why Cove helps you find an FDA-approved treatment that works for your migraine. Cove helps you get the migraine relief you need, all online. 
Go to withcove.com and just complete a quick online consultation. A licensed doctor will recommend a treatment plan customized to your migraine and your prescription will be delivered to your door for as little as $10 per month. In just a few minutes of your time and you get a personalized treatment plan from 20 plus research-backed doctor-recommended migraine medications. And you don't have to worry about running out because Cove sends your migraine meds every month. No insurance needed, no trip to the pharmacy, all online. Meds sent right to your door. With Cove, you can have more migraine-free days. And they've treated over 300,000 migraine attacks and counting. So go to withcove.com to see their reviews. 96% of customers give them five stars. Get the relief you need right now with Cove. Okay, go to withcove.com slash be here for 50% off your first month of medication and free two-day shipping. That's 50% off your first month of medication and free two-day shipping at withcove.com slash be here. That's W-I-T-H-C-O-V-E dot com slash be here. They have a completely different relationship to mental health than we do. Than we do. And, it's, yeah. and it's like, it's great because you can see there's a shift, you know, there's a change and that our generation mm-hmm. and the way we're raising our kids won't be as, you know, stigmatized, but it is wild to kind of see mm-hmm. how they feel about it all and how off it is, you know, from, from where I am. We just like launched in. Are we, are we doing the show now? Are we in it? We're doing it. We're doing Great. it. I don't really care. We're doing it. Cause I, I have a list of questions, but now that just led me into something. Do you think at all though, Okay, so our parents' generation didn't address this stuff, right? Our generation is open to therapy and things like that. Like it, it would have, it wasn't super comfortable for me at first, but open. Do you think there's a possible swing though in the other direction of like too much mm. self indulgence in not self care, but you know what I mean? Where it's like. Uh, People are too coddled because I think there is something good about the pick yourself up by your bootstraps mentality. Not always. And it can be very harmful to people, very harmful, but there is something about it. And I, it made me think about it. And I don't know which episode it was. Where was it when it's a, where uh, they said it's a crisis of spirit. Yeah. Episode three. Yeah. Crisis. That, that for some reason, when that was said, reminded me of like, that does sound like a, good version of pick yourself Mm. up by your bootstraps? So I think that's a really good question. I think there, we have to differentiate between resilience and Mm -hmm. like being too coddled. Like there, there need, you know, like there, there needs to be, we have to build an ability for, I'll speak for me, my, my kids. um, I would like for them to be resilient. I would like for them to be able to fail and then and then talk about why the failure happened and then like do it better the next time and then know they can do hard things like I say to my daughter all the time you can do hard things we can do hard things right like Mm -hmm. um I want to cultivate that sense in her um Mm -hmm. and so there's that and then there's and then there's like this muddled thing about self-care I think the way we use that term now like in the goop age has taken on like a, a whole different meaning. 
That might I mean, as well truly, be right? I mean, we were looking at their uh, their vagina candles the other day. We're doing a new show, Add to Cart, and they have like literally like this candle smells like my vagina. Um, off topic. Um, yeah. Narcissism. So, Anyways, keep going. So it's like it's an interesting thing that's sort of been like taken by like um, you know. Uh, well-to-do white women probably, you know, who have like, you know, self-care, self-care. But really when I think of self-care, I think it comes down to the things that actually do impede or can impede quality of life, which are um, like therapy, I think is, is actually a form of self-care. You know, I think there are things like getting enough sleep. Um, So there's like those little things. And then there's like having a living wage, being able to afford, like being able to afford healthcare, being like, there, there are, there are these, um, being able to afford housing, being stable, not having a ton of trauma, like setting boundaries, being able to work through grief, being able to work through hardships. These are things that, that when we talk about suicide prevention, especially we talk about how suicide prevention is really actually creating a life worth living. And, and that to me is, is where we sort of like need to, put our focus it's less like you know pedicures and more like (laughs) you know are you able to afford a sustainable life and to make meaning and to be loved and yeah these are the kinds of things that fulfill people in a way that they do not feel hopeless and they do not feel like I am in Mm -hmm. an intolerable uh, intolerable intolerable amount of pain that I need to end. I mean, that's the thing that I keep like hearing about the season is people being like, it's intolerable. The level of pain is intolerable and I just yeah. want it to stop. Um, yeah. I want to, I want to go into that. I do want to touch on something that you said really, that was interesting in this when you were saying like, you want your kids to be resilient and you said, I want them to be able to fail and then talk about that failure. I think the, 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 shame of talking about a failure is a lot of what makes people very, you know, feeling like you need to be perfect, feeling like no one can know that you failed is I think a lot of what, like if I've ever been depressed in my life or ever hard, I would, I would say that that would be like, well, I don't want to tell people I failed. Like the the freedom of just being right. like, yeah, I fucked up. I'm imperfect. You know? I'm imperfect. Like, I'm a human. I have ups, I have downs. Like this is all part of the experience. Mm-hmm. Or being brave enough, I think. I think that that for for the first episode with with Kevin, that he and for my listeners, you you need to go listen to her. Uh, well, season one, which is about uh, addiction and opioid, uh, the epidemic of that. But season two is about uh, suicide and brain health, which I learned I think is actually a better word than mental health uh, or better term. Um, but in episode one. So- <laughs> Guys, Thank go you. listen. Thank this will make more sense. But in episode one, in episode one, where I I just kept thinking like, I think Kevin is so brave that he attempted suicide eleven times before the Golden Gate Bridge incident, and then eleven times afterwards. I have to say, he's one of the most brave people I can think of. If I attempted suicide and failed at it, and then had to tell people, not not that failed at suicide but meaning like the shame of it didn't like I can't even imagine what that would feel like like that I honestly think people like him are some of the most strong people and they don't realize what they are so 
one so a couple things about Kevin, right? Like that story we really wanted to start with because there is a bunch of um there's kind of like a bunch of things to debunk in that story. And we wanted to start with like the way that we always get it wrong when we talk about suicide. And a lot of what we're doing early on in the season is being like, the way we do this, that's wrong. The way we do this, that's harmful. The way we do this, you know, I sort of like setting them up and knocking everything down. Before you actually go into Kevin's story, can you say those things? Because that was that was something I was incredibly nervous about, like what terms to use, how to approach it. You scared the shit out of me I know, I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> what is it that people, how should people talk about it so, and how should we? Yeah, it's really tricky. So there's there are a lot of rules when it comes to talking about suicide. Not necessarily like when you're just talking to a friend, but in the media, the way that it's reported, the way that um, we kind of like, even saying suicide is an, is an epidemic, people who work in the field would caution against. Um, because it, it is, while Kevin's story um, is super compelling and has like so many, so many truths to it. And Kevin is a guy who had 22 attempts. He is now a suicide prevention advocate. He is fucking incredible, like you said, but it is very rare to have 22 attempts. Very, 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 very rare. Um, it's it's also like you're never supposed to name the location where somebody dies by suicide. We did that in episode one. Why is that though? Because it gives Yeah, the like idea, you're not supposed or? to... Essentially, whenever you're reporting on suicide or talking about it in any sort of way, you have to assume that there are, that there are a number of people out there who are listening, who are grappling with this who are, who have suicidal yeah. ideation. Like we talked about with my dad's episode, just because you have suicidal ideation does not mean that your behavior will be suicidal. But if you are grappling with that and you are in a very hopeless place, it's not one thing that will drive you to kill yourself. So it's not that like, oh my God, I've never been a person who's thought about suicide. And then I heard this news report about all these people dying by suicide and now I'm going to. That's not how it works. But there are yeah. vulnerable people there who may be predisposed or may be at a higher risk because of childhood trauma, because of, you know, whatever factors. We, we keep honing in on the fact that it's not one event. It's really like your entire life that you have to look at. So mm -hmm. if they are listening to it and you give them a pin drop on a map, that can that can help. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you don't want to give people, you don't want to report on the means that was used. So, so we broke that rule first episode, um, you know, mm -hmm. and talked about breaking the rule. <laughs> um, you're not supposed to say uh, if they died with a gun, if they, you know, hung themselves or you're not supposed to say that stuff. Um, so any, any way mm -hmm. that you, you talk about it, you always have to assume that there is somebody listening that is super vulnerable. Now, the flip side of it is that, I don't know if you noticed, but the way we're doing our trigger warnings are very different. That was another part of it too, where I was like, do you, yeah, you're, you will, you, at the beginning you say uh, press pause or whatever. But I, I, I really liked that you said that say, for some people saying something is a trigger warning kind of puts them in a box of, you didn't say it like this, but that's how I thought it, like a yeah. box of shame. Like if you say, trigger warning, there's going to be sexual assault to follow or content. It's like, oh, that's a kind of telling someone that they, they're they're icky or weird because they have this experience. And I, I 
I can totally see that, but I also see the need for a trigger warning. So it's I mean, so it goes into like the, the resilience bucket, I think. Like when, when did we decide that people do not have the capacity to hear their story reflected back to them? Like I remember, mm-hmm. so this is my example of this. This is like a, maybe a silly example, but I remember when the, um, the HBO show with Zendaya, the, the euphoria. Oh, okay. Euphoria. Oof. People yes, probably told you not right? to watch like that. Everyone was like, yeah. don't yeah. watch it. It's going to really trigger you, you know? A lot of drug use, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, if you tell me not to do something, I'm like, oh, really? Sorry, I'm also just thinking like Harris wasn't a 13-year-old I mean, girl. Like, totally, totally. I mean, <laughs> sorry. Part of it is like, that's just a I totally know, different thing. Okay, well, if you tell me not to watch it, I'm going to watch it. You know, like, like that's the easiest way to get yeah. me to do something and tell me not to do it. I hate rules. Um, so, so like I, <laughs> I watched it and I was like riveted by it. I thought it was done so beautifully and I got a lot out of it. You know, like I, I could relate to a lot and it was sort of like therapeutic in a way. So I think there are things that we can, you know, we get a lot of feedback on episode one. You know, my person was struggling with this. I was struggling with this. Thank you for talking about it. It can be like, therapeutic and can be healing. It can be like self-reflection can be good. We don't have to always say like, if you've experienced Mm -hmm. this, you may want to like not listen. So what we say is like, listen, if it's overwhelming to you, press pause, take a walk, come back, Mm -hmm. start the next part tomorrow, break it out in acts. I mean, so, so in there, Mm -hmm. and there is actually like data that trigger warnings actually can be harmful. Like what you just mentioned, right? Like that a person's going to be mm-hmm. boiled down to their trauma and that's the only part about themselves, you know? So, so basically yeah. like debunking a lot in terms of suicide, but I will tell you, it has been really scary. And I, it, it, like for me personally, um, cause it's not my story this season. And I'm like, mm-hmm. dude, I am not a mental health professional. I'm not, I don't want anyone to ever listen to my show and for me to harm them or make things worse for them or so like there's a lot of um pressure this season to get it right which is why we brought in the jed foundation and you know we're working with them because they're experts in the field um and they've been really um helpful for us to be like is this like wrong to do this way and they're typically like yes and we're like okay 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 Well, let's push on that a little bit, you know, and I think probably our storytelling makes them uncomfortable because we are pushing, pushing the envelope in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, But ultimately, like the feedback I'm getting is people saying this is really fucking hard to listen to, but it is really making an impact. And I'm like grateful that you're doing it. So I'm like, okay. And I think by the end of every episode, like I would say that the, and I think we were supposed to go back to Kevin, which we will, but I think the the episode with Jeremy and the Sandy Hook and the, I mean, way to throw everything into one. Uh, Listen, I know how to party, oh. okay? I'm like a ton of fun. <laughs> yeah, ton of fun. seriously. <laughs> you, you'd be that girl at a party. That's how I am with true crime at a party. I'm like, did you hear about the girl that was murdered? And she, she was walking by herself. Uh, no, like, Can you I not know. right now? Um, but uh, by the end of it, though, like, oddly enough, I felt a <laughs> sense of hope where the most horrible thing happened to these families. And then this man, for my listeners, it, 
so say obviously you guys know what Sandy Hook is. So so then there's there's parents of of these little babies that were killed, and and one of them, or well, him and his wife, they start this foundation like I mean, three days afterwards, and then he's a doctor and he goes on all these speaking engagements talking about how to make the best of this and all of that. And then spoiler alert, he ends up committing suicide. And I thought there's gotta be nothing worse. How unhopeful. But then by the end of it, it almost felt like, and I don't know how to put into words how you summed it up, but it almost felt like, well, I hope nothing like that ever happens to me, but I almost felt like, oh, I, I might be able to get through, not get through it, but like, I, I can't explain it. it. It, I think the interviews with the friends and the fight club and like they, that you, you heard the moment. Well, it's of like, joy. it's like triumph know. of the how human spirit you, shit, right? It's like, it's like, how, yeah. how are we able to go on in the face of like, this is the whole point of the season. We can't control all the bad shit that happens to us. We can't. We cannot. I've tried. I can't. I'm ineffective at it. So I can't stop bad things from happening, but I can be empowered to deal with all of it better, you know? And and that... That's what it is. It empowered you. Like the episode, it was empowering in a really weird way. That's I, exactly what it literally, was. Literally, that is the nicest thing anyone has ever said to me, because if you walk away from that episode feeling hopeful, that's always our goal. We do not we do not want people to walk away feeling yeah. like shit. We want them to walk away feeling some shred of like hope and that and that we're not all doomed, you know? That the world is hard but we can keep going through it. And and a lot mm-hmm. of what we were exploring with that episode was like, you know, sometimes you will never figure out the reason why. You will never understand why someone has done this. And we like to always like take our shows and weave a bunch of threads together and then try to wrap it up at the end. That was one of them where we got to the end and we were like, what's the takeaway here? You know, I mean, that's where we came to. It's not always a crisis of, of brain. It's not always about just your mental health. There's something in your soul and your gut. Like I, I kept telling them guys, when I saw that tree of life show by Terrence Malick, that movie that was 17 hours long and I could not tell you the plot. I know Brad Pitt was in it. I know there were dinosaurs. I left the theater, wept for hours. Why? No fucking clue. I have no idea. If I ask you what was that movie about, no one knows. But there was something. <laughs> watch it. Please watch it and then report back. This okay. will happen to you. You're I like, will. I don't I will. know, okay. just like being a person and then there were dinosaurs eventually because now we're here. And like, <laughs> I just, and and there's something, this visceral thing, right? That like, sometimes it goes past your brain and like into your gut and, and like that stuff can be really powerful. And, and, and that's the stuff that we have trouble understanding as people. And I think Jeremy specifically was somebody who, who worked so hard to logically understand it all. He was a neuroscientist, you know, he, he, he was like one of the most brilliant people anyone had known. And he was trying so hard to understand it and so hard to make sense of it. And some things like just don't make sense, you know, like pain is something that is not thought of. It is felt. Um, And I think, you know, in the episode we just did this week, the therapist we talked to or the researcher, I could probably get mad if I called him a therapist for seniors talks about intolerable psychological pain, but whoever you are, Mm -hmm. whether you are a teenager or middle-aged person or a senior citizen, 
if you are contemplating suicide or you die by suicide, there is intolerable psychological pain involved. So if we can kind of like what we say on a stream is get upstream of that. And if we can kind of like get people to a point where they're like living lives that don't get to that point of crisis where they're feeling intolerable psychological pain that has to end, that is our goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's our goal with the show. Yeah. Is there, I, th- this was in my list of questions. Uh, is it okay to say, you know, it's normal to feel that like, to normalize it or to be like a lot of people of like, you, you know, I mean, I, I I think when I was in junior high and someone shoved mud in my face and called me fat, I was fat though. Oh, shut up. Uh, and Stop it. <laughs> I was I'm totally joking, but I remember feeling very desperate, very desperate in, in like for a day or two. Like I remember that feeling. And so I think it would have been helpful for someone to be like, that's really normal. And that will go away. Granted, that's a very small anecdote for people to have yeah. a lifetime of, you know, but I probably felt that during breakups or pain, you know, whatever, you know what I mean? Is that okay to, to say to people or is it harmful to say, it's normal. We've all thought you are, something like that. I, I love how deeply you're thinking about this. This is something we, we grapple with all the time on the production side. The Jed people would tell you, do not say that suicidal ideation is normal. That that's not, it is yeah. normal to feel hopeless. It is normal to feel lonely. It is normal to feel like, um, you know, no one understands me. I'm depressed. I, I don't want to get out of bed today. They would say, if you have a thought that is, I don't want to live anymore, pick up the phone and call a crisis hotline, Mm -hmm. like, like phone a friend that, that is, that is actually when we have, when it flips over to that, there's a fine line because you don't want people to feel ashamed. You don't want people to feel like, oh God, am I like totally, you know, disturbed that I'm having these thoughts, but you don't want to normalize it in the same way that you don't want to normalize saying suicide is an epidemic. Because it is still relatively totally. rare, right? Like it is still, so. Definitely. But the thoughts aren't necessarily, because like if I, if I think about it, like I would say overall, I've never been a depressed person in my life. I've probably thought like, oh, I just want to die right now. This is so horrible. Way more than I've thought I don't want to get out of bed every day. Most days I'm like, things right. are awesome. Right. But I've thought. And we say it. Something more we, extreme. We say it. More, yeah. I've had so many friends, boyfriend, you know, and people completely, say it in fights completely. too. Like it's, it's, you're so right. It's like that sensation of like, I just want to quit. When you start yeah. making plans, if it becomes like an option, it if it's something that you're thinking about a lot, there's a difference between, I mean, the, on the production mm-hmm. side, like my producer and I were like, God, yeah. how many times a week do we say like, Oh, I just want to die. Oh, I just want to kill myself. And we're like doing the show. That is very different. Mm-hmm. That is a that is a sort of lexicon. Yeah. We've adopted that into the lexicon as like, oh, I feel like shit. You know, we've adopted that as one of the things that we say. Mm-hmm. But if that thinking turns into planning or turns into that's where you yeah. um that's where you get into trouble. And the other thing I want to say is that you you will never the thing that we do where we try to compare our trauma to someone else's, like oh, I don't this. So, so I don't have a right to feel this way. Like just take that. It, nothing, it is all relative. There is no scale. There's no pain scale. If you have a feeling that you feel bad, you feel bad, period. 
Like take that Mm -hmm. feeling and reach out and connect with somebody, whether that be like a friend, a family member, a loved one, a mental health professional, a hotline, um, you know, no one on the other end is going to be like, ugh, you're such a baby. <laughs> like, I'm not. Yeah. Well, assholes might. Not on the other end of a helpline. helpline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay. So you brought that up and that was, that was a major question I had where I agree with you. You can't invalidate someone else's feelings in the sense of like, you know, just because your trauma might be worse, if, if there is a scale, you know, and I know with like, uh, you know, people that have lost someone to addiction, I know that there is like a hierarchy of pain or whatever, or hierarchy of grief, or like some people are like, yeah, well, they were using drugs, like, right. come on, like, which is very painful for people who've lost yeah. someone to, you know, because it's just, they don't know that it's a right. disease and all that stuff, whatever. Now, my question was, though, let's say, for example, you took Kevin mm-hmm. from episode one, who had had a traumatic life. He was, he was adopted. He, you know, when he met his adoptive mom, she was raising kids and that threw him off like, oh, she didn't want me. You know, he had a baby born premature. Had a $300,000 medical bill. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. That was painful. <laughs> um, it, could you say to someone like him, hey, but at least you're not Jeremy, who's six-year-old was murdered with an assault rifle in an element like is that harmful to say to someone like but look it could be worse or this person is still where do you come out on that kind of thing because that that I have no frame of reference for how yeah you could say that if you were like a total dick um but like okay not helpful (laughs) it's like it's in the same way yeah it's not it's not at all helpful to say that it could you know, be worse. it's like it always could be worse. But if you've heard any sort of, in fact, you're going to love next week's episode um, because we are talking about like clinical depression and we are going to be digging into this woman who was beautiful, super like affluent, um, had a really loving family, um, had a great career, spent her entire life feeling pain in pain was clinically depressed, probably undiagnosed. Um, and clinically depressed just means it's, it's a chemical. In your yeah, race. There's, there's, a, some there's like a hereditary thing that's going on. Um, you know, you, you need to be medicated. You need to be under doctor supervision. A lot of times people um, who have chronic depression will take themselves on and off medication. That in and of itself causes a lot of potential risk. So it's, it's for no one to say, um, your pain is invalid, right? That's, that's the bottom line is Mm -hmm. if you are experiencing pain, whatever the reason it's valid. When my, when my daughter goes onto her zoom call in the morning and her friends don't say hello to her, right? Like, honey, that's cool now. What you think we're doing? They're like, she, like, she, Well, I know they're school, but I mean, then they can talk to their it's friends. It's literally Zoom school. I, it's, I mean, like, talk about trauma. But it's like, that's, that's a really good example, right? That's, that, we're going to find out later. Totally. These kids are going to, not a problem, but like, there's going to be something. Completely. But see, that's an interesting thing. Because it's like, I look at my kid who has a house. She's living in this house. She has a family that loves her. She mm-hmm. has food to eat. She has clothes to wear. She gets all sorts of shit that she wants, right? Like she's 
quite privileged Mm -hmm. as a young, as a young person, as a human. Mm -hmm. But like, I look at her and I'm like, man, she goes to school every day by herself in the living room. Like she hasn't seen friends in eight months. Like that feels traumatic when she logs on to zoom in the morning and they don't say hello to her. She cries. She feels pain that, but see, that's what I'm saying. Like you wouldn't say like, well, you didn't lose your kid at Sandy Hook. Like it's, that that feels true, very true. real to her. That feels hard and oppressive and like she cries and you know so so you can't you would never say to like a child your pain is invalid. Well, maybe you would and then that kid would grow up with childhood trauma. Yeah. I think the 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 comparing pain thing that we do is just useless. It's totally useless. It's and yeah. and again, you're never going to call a crisis line and they're going to be like, "Oh, Oh, you didn't get invited to birthday parties as a kid? Mm. Yeah, I'm going to hang up because it's mm. not like, yeah, it's not bold it enough for me. Like, that's not, that's not disturbing enough for me. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know if you heard that. Yeah. Come back, Come with, back a with a better story. Right? Like, um, the Gabor Mate episode we did, you know, about trauma. He was like, I was like, yeah, I had a great childhood. Nothing happened wrong to me. And he was like, let me break down your entire thing and tell you how fucked up you are, right? Trauma, what he says is trauma, trauma isn't what happens to us. It's what, it's what happens inside us. And what that means is mm-hmm. that, like I just said with my daughter, somebody could like not invite you somewhere and that can feel as traumatic. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, so she totally. does get invited places. I'm just, I'm just using that as an example. Oh, She's of course. very, very loved. Yeah. Um, but it also depends on the person too of like what where your not priorities are like it's a personality type thing like some people well i think everyone cares to be included for sure but i think certain things would affect people Absolutely. differently than and the way that we respond to things you know, has to do with our upbringing has to do with our understanding of mm-hmm. self has to do like with where we are who we are what how old like, there's so many variables that come into place biological psychological sociological cultural that it just it it just doesn't have a place in the conversation yeah um so i have a question about um well i have two questions so <laughs> i'll go with the first first uh do you feel like okay so in the first episode with the two Kevins, um, which I thought that was lovely too, that the, the police officer, Kevin, admitted to his own struggles yeah. with uh, mental health or brain health. Um, do you feel like similar to addiction, because you obviously know that well with your brother, um, that it is helpful to tell people it's not just going to be this one thing that ha- like, okay, so the first Kevin was saved from you know, jumping uh, up the Gold Gate Bridge. Uh, and it could easily just be like, oh, and then he got a whole new lease on life. Like that's, that's not what happened. It, it took him like eight years or so. And, and now he pretty much goes to therapy every day or different classes and things. Similar to addiction, do you think it's helpful for people to know that it's probably going to be a lifelong battle? Yes. Or is that no, daunting to say to people? I, don't I, I think it's, I think if we phrase it like it's a lifelong battle, that does feel daunting. But I think if we are realistic about the fact that you, there is no, like, there's no deus ex machina that's going to come like save the day and wrap this all up nicely. We're not, that's not how it works. Mm -hmm. I mean, even, and and that's why that episode I, I really wanted to do, because I wanted people to understand that you see these headlines where it's like, 
these two men had this amazing interaction and the one man was saved. The other man saved him and he got off the bridge and he went on to live a happy life. No, he didn't. He had a ton of other really horrible things happen after that. He had 11 more attempts after that. I mean, no one is getting out of this easy. <laughs> there is no, it is maintenance, you, you know? And that's probably more dangerous for people that are struggling to be like, oh, he was just happy after that? And shouldn't I be totally. happy now? It's, it's like, not realistic. It's yeah, like there, there is no, you know, boom, we're going to snap our fingers and everything will be fixed. There's not an easy fix. Um, what we learned in season one is that, yeah, it takes five years for somebody to, who has used drugs to get to the point, or not used drugs, who has been addicted to drugs to get to the point of the sort of typical population of people who have never used drugs to get to that level. Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah, so like- Okay. Are, so if you, you've heavily abused, yep. like if you, let's say yep. you used heroin yep. for 10 years, it'll take you five sort years Sort of get to, to that regular sort of, I'm an average person who has never abused heroin before. But then, then do they still have- They still, they still are at risk, more, right? But the idea is that they get to a risk level that is that is- similar to just sort of like the everyday population. So I see. So like, let's say someone got an injury and they were prescribed opioids and then just kind of accidentally got addicted. They might be at the same level as that yep. person who could become addicted at, because anyone could technically become addicted. At yeah. Point, yeah, exactly. So it's, it's like, um, it, this stuff takes a long time. I think we have this tendency I mean, listen, like I want everything delivered to me right now. I want, I want to order this thing and I want it to come tomorrow. And if it doesn't come tomorrow, I'm like, where, mm -hmm. where are you? I just ordered new shoes. Why aren't they here yet? Mm -hmm. That is. I just want a fast. <laughs> sure. Metabolism. Sure. That's all I want. Same. I'm like, <laughs> I just, I didn't eat carbs for one day. Where's the fucking, where, what is, why is the scale not budging? Um, yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> hear you. Especially core. Um, mm -hmm. But like, that's not how our brains work. It takes a long time to rewire. It takes a long time to re to sort of like turn back the clock on all of the ways that our, that our brains have been conditioned to think and feel. And, um, you know, there's this, there's that like meme that's like, check on your strong friends. And mm -hmm. I love that because it's, it's kind of like, if everything's going well, <laughs> that's when you need to be checking in on people you know when you like it's not just yeah. this sort of stereotype that like oh it's this you know mentally ill person or you know it's this person who like um, every maybe those people are stronger because they're comfortable saying that's they're right. struggling yeah or not stronger but less it I don't know it's There's true no, no it's totally true I mean I think that's a really good point um you know, if you're a person who like never talks about struggling and you, I mean, there's been a lot of examples of this where you have people that you hear about who have done advocacy work or who are like out there, like changing the world. And then they, you know, they end their lives um, because there is something going on that they were not speaking on. So like, I think, yeah. And I even, I, I, I have not been going to therapy lately. This is, I like outed myself on Instagram the other day because I talk about therapy being like this super critical thing. And I'm like, so run down right now. I'm not taking care of myself. Like, you know, and I was like, okay, I need to, I need to like get back in. Like I, I am not, I am not having 
suicidal ideation. I've never had that. That's not something that has like plagued me. A lot of other shit has, not that. Mm -hmm. But I know when like I'm running Mm -hmm. myself down, when my anxiety is taking over, Mm -hmm. when like I'm everything is sort of feeling um, negative. Like I I can feel that. And I'm like, before I hit a moment where Mm -hmm. I like totally fall apart, let me go and like get back in and talk to somebody, you know? So I think we just have to get to a point as a society where we're comfortable being like, yeah, it's not, it's not a great, it's not a great three months. Like I need to go do some maintenance, Yeah, you know? Or you said on the podcast, how are you today? I think that's a great, yeah. I think in letting go of perfectionism. Okay. I I know I've taken, maybe I can have like, I thought we were going an hour. So you, you've got, you've got it. You shouldn't have even revealed it. I thought we were talking for an hour. Okay. Perfect. Um, how are you like, I I was wondering that the whole time, because on top of the fact that you must feel nervous to report on this properly Mm -hmm. and like, I mean, listen, you can put out a podcast about fucking, you know, baking cookies and people will hate you for certain things that you say, let alone tackling this. How are you dealing with your, how are you handling your own mental health through this and your nerves of like how do you are you doing it properly that's what I would be thinking like am I oh my god yeah no I'm not handling it well I mean I'm totally not (laughs) I I mean I think I was like going and going and going and we've just been you know the time it takes to make the show is uh astounding Mm -hmm. like any narrative show you love please know that um the team is really putting in the time it just takes an astounding amount of time when did you start it? And then, and, and did you have a lot of episodes? No. Banked? Or are you so doing we, week by week? We had like a three month pre-production process, <laughs> but still it's like weaving it together. And, you know, the amount of, I mean, every episode we do has like, you know, eight different versions that we go through and with notes and feedback and comments. And, wow. you know, it takes a long time to kind of like hone it all. Um, and we have a very small team. We, if you listen to like the narrative shows we all love, like this American life, or, you know, there's a team of like 700 at the end, we have a team of three. (laughs) So sorry, four, um, including myself. I I get, I get it. I'm not tackling such a set. Well, I guess I'm tackling like my other podcast is called seven deadly sinners. And it's about like church and pastor scandals and like cults and all this crazy stuff. It's a team of one. I mean, my boyfriend edits the sound, but it's a team of me writing it and then self-editing it and then trying to figure out if I sound like an idiot and then I'm the only one speaking it. And then like, where I'm just like, I don't know if I said the wrong thing. No one's really here to stop me. Oh my God, I can't imagine that. I mean, I lean on my team so hard and so heavy. Yeah, but you're dealing with something a lot more. Let's not compare. Let's not compare. Um, Like, right, right. We're all working really, really hard. Um, Yep. So definitely, I definitely, like, there's too much work going on. There's too, like, there are, there are not enough sleep hours. There's also like the, the issue of like, there are children here in this house all the time that are not going to school. My parents are living here right now. There, like there's a lot of the the country might be heading towards a civil war. Oh, I, I mean, there's they, like there's a lot of yeah. stuff um, that's going on. Are you ever week to week though? Like you didn't have an episode. Oh no, 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 have to no. scramble. I was no. wondering that because okay, it's all it's, it's been all, banked like sort all of. the interviews. 
most of the interviews are banked. Yeah. Um, we have a very specific okay. outline. We know exactly where we're going. We know who's going in each episode. Um, and we know how we're going to weave them together. And we know like thematically what it will okay. be about. And then it's about sort of weaving it together. So each episode takes like around three weeks to put together. Um, After yeah. you've already done all the interviews. Yes. So those all happen. Yes. And then the, okay. so we had like a, a, the beginning process is sort of like, what are we doing? How do we talk about this? How do we do a show on suicide? How many, what are, what are we talking about? What are the topics we want to cover? You know, like all of that took a while to sort of flesh mm-hmm. out. Then it's like, okay, now we know what the season is. Now, who do we want to tell those stories? And you've got to book all those people. Then you've got to interview all those people. And, you know, so it's been like, um, it's been hard. I have cried a lot. Um, there's been several interviews I've been on that I have just broken down. In, in fact, Marguerite's episode that, that you heard today, I was like weeping during that conversation. Um, so there's a lot of that. Um, but like, I'm, I'm, I'm very comfortable saying that. Like, if you're saying, if you're like, how are you? And I'm like, I'm great. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. So I do know how to say like, how are you doing today? Yeah. Not great. Um, but also mm-hmm. like very grateful. Like I feel very run down right now, but I can acknowledge that I'm very run ra- down right now. I can acknowledge I need to be like getting into therapy again to start talking about some of it. I can also acknowledge that I have like the greatest team on the face of the planet. I I am obsessed with them. I love them. They're like my little family. Um, I love working with them. I love what we get to do every day. You know, I have this incredible like actual family. So there's a lot of things that are good. And there's a lot of things that are, um, that are hard, (laughs) you know? Um, yeah. But you could be run down from a job you didn't like very much. At least you're run down from a job it's, you it's get a passion. Lot of. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, do you think you would no, no, be? No, no, oh, no, go no, ahead. No, no. Go, ahead. go ask. Oh, do you think this would have been your path had Harris not uh, passed away? Like, this wasn't your path at all. I no. assume. I mean, you were doing voiceover. I was teaching. I, I forget what else. I mean, you were teaching. But I was. I've been a voiceover actor voiceover. for like twenty years. Yes. Yes. Um, In fact, I just did some anime. I just did like eight hours (laughs) this last week. (laughs) Jesus. Yeah. That's awesome. All right, let's take the money where you can get it. Uh, But would you, you would, would you be doing this if Harris not passed away? No. From an addiction? Yeah. No, no, no. Absolutely not. Never, ever. No. Are you happy that it brought you to this? I mean, obviously, you're not happy that you lost Harris. I know that. No, I, I know what you're saying. saying. Are, you, are you happy that you can help other people now? So I don't know another way to live my life than um, living it with, like, this is going to sound very, like, like very kumbaya, but I, I have never, ever had, like, just a job. I've, I've never, I've, I've always like, I, I, this like, just like attractive to me. Like the idea, like people just go and like do data entry and then like go home and watch TV. And they have yeah. a retirement it's, package. It's like set it's into like, their salary. And so yeah, such a different <laughs> existence. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I've never done that. I've always had to tie my career to who I am as, as person. And, mm-hmm. um, I've always been either like, you know, like I taught for 10 years, 
I did a lot of like advocacy and activism around, you know, legislation in Texas. Um, I've, I've been a writer for a long time. So like all of the things I feel like, and the voiceover stuff, like this current path that I'm on combines all of the things that I like. Um, That's true. And there will never, it will never not suck. Like if I stop and think about it too hard, it is a true bummer to think that like your entire life is about this tragedy that happened. Now, I don't, I don't mm. feel that way as much anymore because we have taken like this company. Now we have 10 shows. Yeah. Like wow. you built it up a year. Yeah. We have 10 podcasts. Wow. Um, like they're not all about this, you know, I, we've been able to sort of like craft, you know, out of, out of this like tragedy, there has been this you know, um, this idea that like life is messy and hard and bad things happen. And like, how do we keep like moving forward from that? It's been, um, something that a lot of people can relate to. Like if you're a person, you can relate to that. Mm -hmm. So it's like a tricky question. And it's one that I do think about. It's weird when you, when you stop and you go, oh yeah, my life would not look anything like this. Had, had my, Mm -hmm. my brother lived. It wouldn't. I can't say what I would be doing now. I have no idea. Um, but I, yeah. I also kind of feel like that's how life works. Like you can make a lot of plans and then other stuff happens and then you kind of have to go. I always used to tell my seniors this. I taught like seniors, I taught acting for a long time and they would all be applying to college and they were all like really talented kids and they would be really stressed out about like, I need to go to a good place. And I'd be like, listen, I get you. I'm not trying to invalidate what you're, what you're going through, but you're going to basically go to school somewhere in that place. You will make connections. Those connections will end up leading to something. What you decide you want to do right now will not be the thing that you eventually do. Like life will kind of do this thing that you don't plan on. I'm almost 40 years old. Did I ever plan to like own a podcast company? Nope. That was not when I was 20. That's not what I thought I would be doing. Went to school to like be an actor, like on Broadway, you know? So it's, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I think that there's this, we have to sort of be open to things happening in a way that we don't anticipate. Um, and the other part of it is I, I love thinking that I'm doing something to make the world a little bit better. Like I, I don't, it is, it is really, um, it's empowering. Like it's, it feels like, all right, well, if I got to do something with my time here, <laughs> let's, mm-hmm. let's sort of make it a little less painful for people. Um, and I like to, and you're truly doing it right. I mean, there's some sort of secret sauce you, you guys have figured out or you figured, I don't know it, it, I, I, you're doing it right. It, it, it felt really daunting to listen to a podcast about suicide addiction. I've had a lot of friends that, you know, so that, that I've like already, like, I know that world. I was like, I don't think I can listen to this. Like I was like nervous. And then I've laughed a ton. Thank you. Like, and I, I Thank felt you. hopeful, like whatever you're doing, you're that doing is, right. That is, that is so nice. That is really true. And that's the other, yeah, it's not, it, it sounds like such a bummer. And it, 
It definitely is a bummer mm. in a lot of ways, but I also talk in the way that I'm talking right now. I don't, my voice does not yeah. change. I'm still saying really bad words mm-hmm. and I'm still making jokes and I'm still like probably being very distasteful while I'm talking about these things. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not like a, now I am a reporter. Like I, I it, it doesn't take that yeah. tone. And I think that it helps for people to be able to hear just like a normal human being. Well, as normal as I am. I'm um, talking about hard yeah, things. Yeah. Totally. But I've also found your guests too, like they don't take themselves too seriously. Like Margaret is Marguerite. Is it like, I mean, the fact that her oh mom's my God. literally, like I'm like a, like a, like like a pinch pitcher. just kill you? Right? Like, One of the funniest like, things I've ever heard in my life. And I bet she took it really seriously, but yeah, but downplayed it to people like, oh my God, I gotta watch out for these kids. But oh my she God. probably like, I stretched I mean, before. That's the thing, like when we do our interviews, it's just like me getting on the phone and talking to people, you know, and then we get some tape out of it and we string it together and do a pretty show. Um, Marguerite was, yeah. I love her. She felt like Tignataro to me. Like when I was talking to her, so she has this like sort of flat line thing, but she's so funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved like pairing her with my dad. Cause like she made me laugh so hard. And obviously my dad does too. Um, Oh my God, your dad, your dad killed me. I like, I like went and told my boyfriend, I was like, okay, no, I know I've told you about all these really depressing episodes, but like, this is going to sound depressing, but it's not. She gave her dad this like suicide quiz and I just like explained his answers and he like started laughing. It was like, oh, actually does sound really funny. You're, you're, you're so nice. I always, um, I always feel so good after I talk to you. You're so, you're so great. And, and I love that you listen and I love that you're thinking about this stuff and that it's interesting at all. Um, it's, it's really refreshing. I mean, you know, like as a creator, you make stuff in a vacuum and you don't know, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately the impact you're going to have on people. And it's like, it's vulnerable to like put yourself out there and be like, all right, here's my work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Does everyone hate me too? I, I hate know. myself too. <laughs> you hate me too. Yeah. You know, it, <laughs> yeah. Uh, don't worry. I hate myself yeah. as much as you hate yeah. me. It's fine. Totally, we are totally. the same. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Hilarious. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I had one final question. This might be uncomfortable and I can take it out and you can tell me if you're offended by it. But I was just thinking during, you know, talking about like, if this, would this have been your path had Harris not passed away? Do you ever, and I don't know if you believe in this shit, but do you ever get little signs from him or, or do you, do you feel him in moments when you need him, when you're creating this stuff to keep you going or? It's so interesting. We were just talking about this actually last week. Um, the signs I got very early on. I got, I saw him in so many things. Like I would see him in birds. I would see him in possums. I would see him like, it was, it was like, I needed to physically see him. I got chills. It's true. I mean, and I, and I'm not, I'm not spiritual. I'm not like, we're all tethered. I mean, it it might, but, but I would, I, I would, I would look for him and I would need to see the signs. Now I feel like he's so woven in to everything that I do. He's so woven in, like Mm -hmm. he's everywhere. Like you can see, so this picture behind me, that boat, that was Harris's. There he mm-hmm. is on the wall. That's oh, really? a portrait of him. Like <laughs> all the shit behind me, he wrote, he did that painting. He, that was his little weird doll in the window. Like he's all over me. Like he's everywhere. He's everywhere. Yeah. And, 
maybe some people would think like, okay, it's like, it's like too much. It's weird. I have like a note to me up here that he, on my bulletin board that he wrote me. I, I, if I, I definitely would if I start to look around, I have more shit from Harris Mm -hmm. than I do of my own children. than I do, you know, and like, and I think about him all the time working on the show and I talk about him all the time. And so I, because he's so like woven into the fabric of all of it, I don't feel like I need those physical signs as much as I used to. Now he's just like Mm -hmm. a part of it all, you know, like he's, he's just, he's so in my soul all the time and, you know, motivates everything that I do. And it's like really, there's this really meaningful thing happening right now where we're doing this new show, Abdicart, with um, Sujin Pak uh, and Kulap Lysak. Mm-hmm. Kulap, you know, was one of Harris's best friends in, in the world, um, her, her and Scott. And after Harris died, like, she, we went to his house to pack it up in L.A. She, I didn't know her at the time, knocked on the door with a bunch of boxes and packing tape and, like, an army of people to come yeah. help us. And I, like you know, over the years, like, I, I love her so much. And now she's doing a show with us with Lemonada. Like, that's and it's really like, cool. That's I a know. cool and circle. I, and it's like been this really slow burn to sort of like get off the ground. And, and now we're like working together. And I feel like Harris is like in that. I just feel like it's, it's, you know, he like motivates so much. Oh, you're gonna make me cry. Sorry. No, but it's, <laughs> but it's, I'm totally good with crying. I do it all the time. Um, But I, I love that question and I haven't really thought about it that way. So I'm grateful that you had me think about it that way. Cause I, I do love that. Yeah. That's very cool. I think that's what you just said about his friend showing up and then now you guys work together. Like what more could he want, right? If you believe in heaven yeah. or whatever, you know, what more could he want than the people he loves, like all working together and still probably being able to share his totally. funny stories and it's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Sorry to leave no, you on, like, kind of sad. No, it's not. It's so great. Very happy. And yeah, I mean, I can't wait to come on your show for a fourth time. I am. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you're going to be a frequent it. guest. I love it.